Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Hello there, sports fans. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. My name is James Hickson. It is the event we have all been waiting for. The Tango of Titans. The Smackdown in Citrusville. The Melee of Monsters. We are, of course, talking about the premiere issue of Marvel 2-in-1, number one, starring Man-Thing versus The Thing. And I am joined today by my host, a veteran of 19 different sports teams, most of them chess club, Trey Lawson. Howdy, everybody. Trey, how are you feeling about the fight tonight? Well, you know, it's 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 an interesting matchup. We've got on the one hand, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing, Ben Grimm. He is definitely going to have the advantage in terms of experience and overall conscious thought, but the Man-Thing is, after all, the most startling swamp creature in all of comics. He has the advantage of being totally malleable, and uh, you never know what might happen when he gets that burning touch. We've been talking to his trainer, and they're very, very positive about that tonight. Uh, Now, of course, we do have two bouts to before the main event, we have Marvel Spotlight number 13 featuring that son of Satan, the son of Satan. And then, of course, we have the one of our participants in the later bout coming in in his own number one Man-Thing, number one. But before we get to all of that, we should probably take a slight detour into one of the hottest segments in podcasting today. You love it, you know it. The wild world of sports. What? Hellstrom Watch. Oh. So yeah, guys, we have a lot of news for you on Hellstrom Watch this week. Yeah, Marvel Studios has been busy. Right. For one thing, uh, I guess we should talk about now... Marvel Television is now Marvel TV. Right. It is Marvel TV Studios, which is a subsidiary of the overall Marvel Studios. Right. So it's not Marvel Television anymore. <laughs> right. It's a slight rebranding um, to to better reflect its connection to yeah. the, the other studio. It's, it's basically saying like, hey, you're coming un- under our umbrella. Which, speaking of, um, they've also... I guess we should talk about the Hulu news. Yeah, which there right? is a good bit. Uh, how, which order do we want to do this in? So, uh, let's see. First mm-hmm. off, in terms of the, the Hulu... Well, just, just generally. I don't have a link pulled up for this. But generally, it was just announced that 
the the head of Hulu, I think, is stepping down as that uh, service is being reorganized more closely as a Disney brand. Okay, so yeah, they are so like, um, which seems seems to be sort of sort of in line with the Marvel TV news, where it's not directly about anything Marvel, but it does reflect sort of a reorganization as Disney takes over. Yeah, so it's apparently an amiable split with from the Hulu CEO. Because they're bringing it more under uh, the Marvel, sorry, the Disney streaming, right? Which, and you know, I'm, I'm sure it's it's fine because he's a CEO. I'm sure he'll get a nice golden parachute on his way out, and and will likely find similar work elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's the way they do things with those. I I, I shed no tears for corporate CEOs who who get huge. Yeah, who see packages. more money in their life time than than a week than we see in our entire lifetime yeah yeah yeah. um so anyway hulu is reorganizing but let's get into the specifics about what's going on in that company as it relates to marvel first off in animated news we have a cast for right we do including uh mst3k alumni Patton oswalt i think people might know from us other things right so Patton oswalt is right Right. Uh, Patton Oswalt is playing the titular character of Modoc, and in addition to him, we now know that Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine has joined the cast, along with Ben Schwartz from Parks and Recreation. And DuckTales. And, and DuckTales, yes. Uh, so so uh, also Amy Garcia is joining the cast as Modoc's wife. Ben Schwartz, who I just mentioned, is playing Modoc's 12-year-old son, Lou. Melissa Fumero is playing Melissa, who is Modoc's 17-year-old daughter. Okay. Uh, Wendy McClendon Covey from The Goldbergs and uh, various other very funny shows is playing uh, Monica Rappaccini, who is a mad scientist at AIM and Modoc's oh. work rival. Oh my... See, my problem is I don't know a lot about Modoc, honestly. I know him showing up. I I know that he's a weird floating head in a, a cybernetic. Yeah, and he's casing. a bit of an a hole. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of Modoc, Modoc's Eleven is a really fun comic. Like, just as if you want just a self-contained Modoc story, that's a fun one. Yeah. But yeah, so this show has a fairly robust, fairly talented cast. Uh, the Super Adaptoid is a character. It's been revealed. Oh, okay. I wonder which version, but okay. Uh, he spends his days massaging the hover chair sores on Modoc's scalp and dreams of overriding his programming and turning on Modoc. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. It's good, it's good to have dreams. Dreams, ambitions, wants. Now, of course. Mm-hmm. So, Modoc is. Modoc is. Yeah, steam which ahead. actually can't be said for other. Uh, Hulu animated series because we do get news as well that both Howard the Duck and the Tigra Dazzler shows have been cancelled at Hulu. Yeah, so uh, it looks like there's no ill will at least from Kevin Smith regarding the Howard the Duck show. Um, he, he put out a statement that was fairly complimentary to both Disney and Hulu. Yeah. But, but, but those shows are not happening. And that's interesting because those shows were supposed to be in continuity with the Modoc show. All of those animated shows, along with another one that has not been mentioned lately, Hit Hit Monkey, 
were all going to lead up to a crossover called The Offenders. Which... Is that still happening, or do we know, or... I don't see how you can do the crossover if you're not doing the other shows. Yeah, I don't think you can. I, I think... I think the offenders are dead in the water. Right, and what what's left is this... What sounds like a MODOK sitcom. Yes, which I guess is fairly non-intrusive. Yeah, no, it, it's honestly from reading what bits of character description and premise we have, it sounds almost sort of like American Dad, but make it Modoc. Okay, I, I guess that's okay. So, so that's that's it as far as the animated stuff. Um, of course, we we did not start with the biggest news, which is that as far as we know right now. Hellstrom, right? Although with this shakeup at Hulu, maybe that might change as well. <laughs> Although they have shot four episodes, it could, it could. A new CEO, or right? They they filmed a lot, so I feel like it, if nothing else, it gets cut together as a TV movie or something. Oh, that'd be weird. Kind of like, again, like uh, New Mutants. Yeah, what what almost we we thought was going to happen with New Mutants. What happened with, um, if you've ever seen it, back in the the late nineties. Uh, the Generation X live-action project, which was supposed to be a pilot for a series, but it didn't get picked up, so they put it out as a TV movie. Yeah. I I remember it. I've never watched it. There were a lot of those around that time. Marvel kept trying to do live-action TV, and kept the networks kept hating it and putting them out as TV movies of the week. Uh, That happened with Nick Fury, happened with Generation X. Yeah. There were a bunch of them. Happened with Man-Thing. Man-Thing? Man-Thing has a TV No, I know there's like the 2001 Man-Thing or whatever, whenever that was made. But like that was supposed to have been a bigger thing than what it was. I don't know if it was going to be a series or not, but but it was originally going to be a much bigger It was going to be an actual series and then they, no, no, it was going to be a um, actual movie and then they did a straight to video release. Right, right. Yeah. But... Yeah, because it went from Lionsgate to being dumped on. That'll be interesting to see. I did find it kind of interesting that Kevin Smith is very, very circumspect about Howard the Duck getting canceled. He's like, you know, I love everything that Kevin Feige does, and I hope we'll be able to work again sometime soon. It's like, he's not burning his bridges, which is probably smart on his part. No, no. Well, and he's proven himself within the genre by doing all of this work for CW that he's done. Which I'm so, so they know he can he can do stuff other than silly stuff. Yeah, Stoner although comedy. I'm way still way behind in CW stuff. I I'm, I just I I Me just too. finished the Elseworlds crossover. Man, I'm still back on the uh, what is it? Crisis on Earth X. Wow, you really are far behind. The the one with the Nazis. Okay, you're really only a season behind. Yeah. Still, we're both really far behind. Yep, yep. Um, and and so I think that's all of the Hulu specific mm-hmm. news. But there's still more in the wider world of Marvel yep, programming. We've got we've got some. Well, first off, this is I think confirmed, or at least more than just a rumor, and that's that Owen Wilson is joining the cast of Loki. Yeah, like, okay, so apparently these Disney Plus series are not just going to be like fly by night first, which we kind of knew. I mean, they got Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston is not a fly by night kind of guy, right. but still, right. No, and they they like they have all of their big names from the movies locked into contracts that sort of require them to do these shows. But they're also attracting names that are not already 
stuck in those contracts. Yeah. Like Goldie Hawn and uh, Kurt Russell's son. Yeah. Who I am, I am, honestly, I think that's perfect casting for a U.S. Yeah. agent. Uh, if you're not if you're not aware, uh, there were there were pictures revealed recently of Wyatt Russell, son of Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, in costume as U.S. agent for Falcon and Winter Soldier, and he looks perfect. Yeah, he he really does. He looks like this all American dork. Um, and which and is great. Lo- and the costume is a very good MCUification of the U.S. agent outfit. It is. I'm just so excited for that show. Um, me too. With that and with Zemo wearing the mask, oh, it's oh, gonna be good. It's like it's gonna be like Mandalorian too. Also, so it's gonna be like once a week. I'm just like, yep. Eh. No, I'm looking for. I like it when shows do that. I would rather watch one episode at a time. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry. I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I don't know. It, it has to be intentional. Has to be. But uh, nobody seems to comment on the fact that the title of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is, like, a roundabout pop culture reference. The Falcon and the Snowman. Wow. The wow. 80s spy drama with Timothy Hutton and Sean Penn. Are they going to reference that in the show? That would be insane if they did. I don't know. I, I just, but, like, oh, but like, God. You don't call like like you don't use that phrasing of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier if you're not referencing the Falcon and the Snowman. I guess right like that that just seems too deliberate to me for a show that probably is going to be the most like military slash espionage related show of the bunch. True, uh, that, for for all intents and purposes, it should be a very much in the tone of Winter Soldier. So, mm-hmm. right. yeah, okay. But anyway, so Wyatt Russell is U.S. agent. Um, also, we have rumors that rumors? Disney Plus could be could be planning a Secret Invasion miniseries or show or something. Uh... Yeah, I'm a little iffy on that one. Um, for one thing, for one thing, if you build up the scrolls the way you do in captain marvel and and with the the post credit stuff in spider-man like that ought to build to another movie not to just something you you put on on streaming yeah and also i was just not a fan of secret it wasn't Invasion. great i mean i honestly in retrospect there's more that i like about secret invasion than there is civil war okay i i, I just in terms of storytelling and what it does to characters and stuff like that I but the Secret Invasion is still pretty. Secret Invasion is still pretty goofy. Yeah. Uh, I feel like now that the scrolls are a thing, they're gonna have to do some version of it. But I don't know. Not not the thing I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, because I think before Cap- Captain Marvel, everybody was like, "Oh, this is all leading to Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion is gonna be a thing." And we're like, we were both kind of like, "Oh, please no." Right. And now, right. of course, not 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 my favorite. Thing. No. Although, speaking of Captain Marvel, the sequel's yes. officially in production. Uh, and the writer who is working on it is also the staff, is a staff writer on WandaVision. Oh. Okay. Which is interesting because WandaVision features a grown-up Monica Rambeau. 
Yeah, and also, apparently, supposedly, we're getting trailers for both WandaVision and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier during the Super Bowl, which you'll have seen by the time that you get this episode. Right, right. And also, ultimately, let's see, any other... In terms of MCU stuff, there's also a rumor that Doctor Strange... Two mm-hmm. could feature the introduction of Brother Voodoo. Have they? Do they have a director for Doctor Strange Two right now? Not yet, but casting is still happening. Pre-production is still happening, but I think they are still locking down a director. Yeah, I I, I won't get too excited for Doctor Strange Two until they have a director. Yeah, for it. I mean that's not the first time this sort of thing has happened. No, especially just uh, of course with Ant Man, we lost uh, Edgar Wright. Right. Even minute. the first Captain, even the first Captain America movie, I think, had some issues early on. Mm, was that first Captain America movie? I thought it was the second Thor movie. No, the second Thor movie definitely did. Like they they brought on um, Patty Jenkins, I think, yeah. who did Wonder Woman, uh, and and then she left uh, yes. over creative differences. Which, so yeah, so which that movie Thor two is kind of a mess. But it's the it's kind of a mess for reasons that I don't think any director could have fixed. No, and you know, like it's kind of a mess because that part of that phase is kind of a mess. Yeah, I don't think it's an issue where like Kevin Feige is secretly a huge asshole, uh, and even if he was, you know, he's also the most powerful man in Hollywood right now. So maybe <laughs> learn to work with him. Well, and it, it, it's part of it is is sort of studio priorities, like. Thor 2 happened at a time when they were far more invested in making connections between the various solo series and sort of setting up the shared universe. Um, the, very similar to the problems that occurred with the second Iron Man movie. Okay, yeah, because they, they're like, okay, now let's set up for Avengers. Let's set up for Avengers. Right, and, and, and like Thor 2 is like setting up everything from like, Guardians-related stuff, to Avengers-related stuff, to, like, all kinds of things. And, and and none of it is in service to its own plot. I don't even remember the plot to Thor 2, and I watched it last year. Um, I, I know the bad guy is Eccleston. Yeah, and Jane goes to Asgard. Yes, briefly. Oh, yeah. and Thor's mom dies. Yes, yes. And then we revisit all of that in Endgame. Yeah, which a lot of people think redeemed the whole movie a little bit at least at least makes it more interesting in terms of where it fits into the continuity but anyway so so i think i think that pretty much covers it uh just double checking my notes here yep that was the last thing i had was the potential that maybe we get brother voodoo in the doctor strange sequel which who knows maybe yeah um sounds like a lot is still up in the air with that one but i i wouldn't be mad if dr voodoo showed up exactly well, I said Doctor Voodoo. We, depending on how they introduce him, they could just skip right to that version of the character. Yeah, we know him as Brother Voodoo currently. Right, but he does eventually start going by Doctor Voodoo. Yeah, which yeah is probably a better name anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for Hellstrom Watch. Yeah. Uh, so now let's get back to our uh, previously planned Monster Mayhem. Right. And so we'll be right back with Marvel Spotlight number 13. 
Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health analysis of comic book characters. So check us out at capesonthecouch.live and across all social media platforms at Capes on the Couch. There is no hope. There is no future. The door to the kingdom of hell has been opened. The Chosen is coming. We must solve the energy crisis. And we will solve it by building this thermonuclear plant here in this area over which we're flying now. The dragon of the apocalypse is your atomic plant. Those who try to stop it have been destroyed. The Chosen will rise from our most horrifying dreams. The Chosen cannot be stopped. Prayer will not help, for the Chosen is coming to destroy the Earth. From your seed comes evil. The Chosen will come among us. The world will lose its mind. From your seat comes evil. Nothing is safe. Nothing is sure. I am the heir of a man who must leave his post because of a severe nervous breakdown. Just relax. Is she the chosen? Is he? Is it the madman? The mother? The son? The baby? The friend? Or is it him? Kirk Douglas, Simon Ward, Agostino Belli, Virginia McKenna, Anthony Quayle. The Chosen is coming. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Our first issue this episode is Marvel Spotlight number 13. Writer is Gary Friedrich. Artist is Herb Trimpey. Inker is Frank Germante. Colorist is Petra Goldberg. Our story resumes shortly after Hellstrom's team-up with the Ghost Rider, as Damien returns to his lakeside New England mansion in spectacular fashion by crashing his demon-drawn chariot into a lake. Though he emerges from the catastrophe unscathed upon entering the mansion, he is set upon by some of his father's lesser minions, hoping to win brownie points with Lucifer. Hellstrom makes quick work of the demons, slaying an slaying them with abandon. Afterwards, he ruminates on his parentage by reading once again from his mother's journal. In it, she recounts how Satan came to Earth years ago, taking the guise of a handsome human, seduced her, and gave unto her two children, a son and a daughter. And so they spend many happy years together, until one day she came upon her husband and daughter kneeling a cat in the basement. Her husband then revealed his true nature to her, driving her utterly mad, damning her to an asylum and relegating the children to foster care. Years later, 
Damon Hellstrom is studying to be a priest when he receives a letter telling him of his inheritance, the mansion by the lake, and with it, the journal in which he learns the horrible secret of his parentage. As if this revelation wasn't enough, Damon then receives an invitation from his pappy to come visit him at his place, Hell, which conveniently enough there's a portal to in the basement. As the chilling adventures of Sabrina would do almost 50 years later, and now that I think about it, Empire Strikes Back did only six years later, Satan offers Damien a chance to rule by his side. But when the young priest in training wakes up on the floor of his study, he pledges to reject his father, and without losing a hand. Take that, Skywalker. He sneaks back to hell to acquire Netheranium, the one substance that could hurt his father. But after a run-in with a dragon and his father's servants, he once again finds himself facing his father. In the pitch battle that follows, Damon steals Satan's pitchfork and uses it to summon the Dark Lord's chariot, carrying him out of hell. So, James. Yes? Correct me if I'm wrong. I will. But, is Son of Satan secretly awesome? Th- that was kind of a good issue. It was pretty good. Yeah, no, it's it's eventually gonna gonna hit you know it's it's ghost rider stride right like yeah like there's there's mm-hmm. there's really no way to keep up with this being this good and not last longer than it did so it has to go downhill pretty quickly after this because let's be honest the first issue is kind of yeah, well, bad because this should have been the first issue this really should have been the first issue like this is the origin story yes like he should have guest appeared in Ghost Rider. That's fine, and it's like learn his starling secret in, and that be his first right. issue with one himself. Because the because the last issue of uh, of Spotlight didn't even need to happen. No, it didn't. Like they could have just done the cameo in Ghost Rider one. Yeah, but again, we've already just established they don't know how to do first issues. Like, true, true. The Ghost Rider number one should have been the continuation of Marvel Spotlight. This is fair. This is fair. Like, yeah, there should have been a handoff from Ghost Rider to Son of Satan in Spotlight, and then you jump right into the origin and don't bother with continuing the story of Son of Satan yes. in Ghost Rider. Like, let that, let let the path fork, so to speak. Yeah, because, uh, and that establishes a, yeah, that, but that that would establish a continuing storyline for Marvel Spotlight as well, which is interesting, because usually those anthology series don't have that. Right, yeah, there's usually a hard cutoff. It might as well be a different magazine, which I think would have been an interesting and different thing. Right, yeah, um, yeah, this, this, this issue's crazy. Um, so, so, Hellstrom has... This this mansion that was conjured by his father, I guess. Yes. And he and he has a secret underground hideout. Yes. Under the mansion. Yes. Why, why is nobody calling it? Why is nobody calling it the Hell Cave? Are you saying that Damon Hellstrom is Batman? Maybe. I mean, we've never seen Damon Hellstrom and Bruce Wayne in the same place. Oh. oh. Although now to think about it. Damon, Damien Wayne, 
we've seen become Batman in the future, and he's descended from a demon. Oh, yeah, because that, that was the Batman 666, right? Yeah. 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 That was that, was that kooky Morrison stuff. Oh, crap, Morrison. It's going to be a while before we get to you on the podcast, but damn, it's going to be fun when we do. Uh, it also strikes me that we've sort of changed the character of Damon Hellstrom a little bit. Yes. That we, we don't have the the Jekyll Hyde transformations. Yeah, I noticed that too. We're, we're not doing the thing where he's like weak and timid in the day and then the son of Satan at night. Right, Ooh. right. And he has to like chain himself up and, and lock the doors and beg not to be released. and Which is, that's fine. Because we've already got Ghost Rider and Werewolf by Night doing that exact same thing. Yeah, it, although I, I, it'll be interesting to see if they go back to that. Like, hey, we didn't forget about it. Don't worry. And like, no, we weren't worried, actually. Thanks, guys. <laughs> it was better when you didn't do it. <laughs> yes. So, let's talk about Satan. Satan in love? Satan in love. Is it just me? Or does Satan's human form look like a sleepy Namor? I mean, you're not wrong. Like, and and one thing I but one thing I know from my Fantastic Four comics is that there is nothing more attractive in the 1960s and 70s to a young woman than Prince Namor. Right, right. Because black hair and pointy ears, and I'm like, oh, hi, hi. I mean, it's it's that Spock effect. Actually, you're right. Women did find Spock very sexy, didn't they? <laughs> yep. Oh man. <laughs> Oh, just ignore everything I just said. Apparently, I don't know the fuck I'm talking about. (laughs) Yes, women love Spock. Just look at Nurse Chapel. (laughs) Oh, Christine. But, yes, he looks looks exactly like a sleepy Namor. Yes. Yes. Um, Also, that whole scene, like the weird courtship stuff, Reminded me a lot of the beginning of Guardians Volume 2, when Ego takes human form to seduce Star-Lord's mom. Okay. Just the, the way it plays out is, even the, like, just sort of being out in the woods or whatever, like, it, it felt very similar to me. I, I just really like the scene at the bottom of page 14, where she co- goes down to the basement to find him sacrificing the family cat, and I'm like... <laughs> Okay, they're probably not sacrificing a family cat, because if they were, who would they be sacrificing it to? Because, you know, right. Satan's right there in right. the room. Maybe he was feeling, like, a little drained or tired and needed to pick me up. And so it's like, sacrifice the cat and I'll absorb its soul. Jeez. Do cats have souls? Oh, wait, no, never mind. There's no such thing as a soul. Got it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I also noticed that they go out of their way to avoid naming Damon's sister. Yeah, but I do like that they do mention her because we are going to be seeing her in. Yeah, like, is it Vampire Tales we see her in? Uh, I, yes, yes. I, I can't keep Tales. the magazines straight anymore yeah, because Morbius is not enough of a draw. Yeah, yeah. So we have Satana. Right. I, I, but I enjoy the the distinction that's already being made here that she's the one who knew their father's secret first, and she was basically all in on it. Yeah, and. I just like the naming schemes here, like Damon and Satana. You gotten any more on the nose? I can see. See, I can understand like the mom like being oh, okay. We'll name him Damon. Okay, that's not terrible. Then it's like, <laughs> hey, let's name our daughter Satana. <laughs> okay, I 
suppose, dear. Weird flex, but I you can know. never say no to those years of yours. Yeah, and no, I uh so apparently Satana has at times gone by the name Judith and sometimes Julia. Oh. So a Judas thing. Maybe. Sorry, like 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 um, like the summary but, implies, I have been under... Do what? Like the summary implies, I have been watching a lot of uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina recently. Uh, I have not finished the first season, but I liked it. They so. play with the Satan puns a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But under Marvel Wiki, her real name is given as Satana Hellstrom. So. Okay, then. So Mom's just clueless. Yeah, in- incredibly, apparently. Also, speaking of Satan... Is it just me, or is Herb Trippy's depiction of him just kind of boring? Oh, you mean Dormammu Light? Yeah. Like, before, it was a little bit interesting. Like, it was still Dormammu Light, but it was mm-hmm. a little bit interesting the way they did it in, like, Ghost Rider. Especially in, say, like, Mike Plug. But right. But Trippy's Satan is just boring. And somebody stole his nose. He looks like... He looks like Golden Age Human Torch with pointed ears and horns. And occasionally wings. But yeah, it's the... it, it's it, it looks lazy is what it looks like. Just There's no detailing on anything. It's just all shading and crosshatches. Yeah, basically. It's very hard for it to convey emotion or, or yeah. menace. And granted, there's a lot of other stuff going on in this book, so I guess you cut your corners where you have to. But to me... One of the most important elements of this story ought to be Satan. Yeah. I mean, but, but like you said, we do get lots of really amazing stuff elsewhere. Like, for instance, the freaking full-page dragon. Right. On 23. Yeah, that's real good. That's good stuff. Actually, all the full-page stuff is good. There, there's the, the splash at the beginning is really good, too. Yeah. I just saw it like, oh, Even man. Even though it's got, the, it's got the lazy Satan at the top. But, like, with... Uh, with Damon riding the chariot through the smoke. That's some good stuff. Yeah, I'm like, oh man, Puff got pissed. <laughs> Puff the magic dragon guards the mines in hell because marijuana damns your soul. <laughs> Who was it that said good people don't smoke marijuana? Um, was that Jeff Sessions? That was Jeff Sessions. There we go. Jeffy boy. Where is, yeah. where is he now? <laughs> Um, trying to pretend like the last three years didn't happen, I think. Him and me both. But anyway. yeah, I, I like the dragon design. Like, it's not your typical, like, fantasy dragon. No, it isn't. Like, it's got weird eyes and the the um, the shape of its mouth and face are a little different. Like, it, it's definitely, like, a creature of hell. Yes, it is. It's... I mean, it it does seem a little bit cartoony. It does remind me a bit of like Puff the Magic Dragon. Oh yeah, yeah, but I can see same, that. Yeah, but at the same time, he does look mm-hmm. scarier, and he's got those same giant fangs that the horses pulling the chariot have. Yeah, although Damon takes him out too quickly. Yes, that fight should have been the rest of the issue. Yes, and then the, the cliffhanger should have been his father confronting him. Right. Right. So, yeah, but um, pacing issues like that aside, I, I think this is the best story we've gotten so far with Damon Hellstrom. Oh, almost certainly. And it kind of makes me excited for the, the TV series if it happens to be like, hey, 
this actually could work fairly well as a TV show. Yeah, even just the sort of underlying premise of this guy went off to, to uh, seminary to become a monk, and while he was training to serve God, found out he was the son of Satan. Like, that underlying premise is just cool. It is. I agree. So, yeah, I, I liked it. I, I, again, am skeptical that they can keep up this level of quality, but... Yeah, like... <laughs> but I liked it. It's probably the best Gary... Probably the best Gary Friedrich issue we've had in all I, I, I have a note here. It's actually... Uh, this is the best Gary Friedrich issue since the time that Ghost Rider went to hell and fought his dad. You're not wrong. The first time. That 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 is exactly right. Yes, you, you've... Yes. You, you found the, uh... You found the point at which, uh... Yep. The stories were good. So, I mean... So, I don't know. Do you have anything else on Spotlight? Um, no, although it does end better than that Ghost Rider issue did, because, of course, the end of that Ghost Rider issue, they stopped at a cliffhanger right in the middle, and then the le- the, the back end of the second half took us out to Canyon Country, which we're still freaking in. Right. Oh, I forgot about that, yeah. No, this one, I see why they end this one the way they did. They rush through fighting the dragon and fighting Satan because they have to get out of the flashback. They don't want to end the yeah, story it's, it's still in the flashback. it's rough bringing a story back in on a flashback. So they, the, we jump back to the present in the final yes. panel of this issue. Um, which, again, I get that. That makes sense. But it still makes the pacing of the issue feel a little weird. But it, it'll be interesting to see where Hellstrom goes wrong because that was a fun issue. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and interesting to see what happens once he merges with the rest of the Marvel Universe. Because he's eventually going to be, I think, a Defender, uh, an Avenger. Like he, He's going to pop up all yep. over the place in the Marvel Universe. And become a fairly controversial figure along the way, but we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's probably going to be a little while, so yeah. uh, stick with us. But I don't have anything else to add. No, I think that covers it for uh, Spotlight number 13. Looking forward to uh, more from Hellstrom. But why don't we take a quick break, and then we can dive into the very first issue of Man-Thing. No. Oh, yes. Yes! Sorry, (laughs) I was thinking about the very first issue of Marvel 2 and 1, but no, you're right. It's the very first issue of (laughs) Man-Thing. We've got two number ones oh, this, this time. that never happens. Except that time it did. Yeah. Right. <laughs> back when we first started. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Hi. I'm one of the high priests of Conchu Ray, and I have the sacred privilege of providing you, the loony listener, with a podcast honoring Marvel's very own Moon Knight. So join me and a host of others at Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or support the show by becoming a Patreon member. Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. It's time to get your conchu on. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. You're playing the most phenomenal game ever created. Your skin grows cold from your first glimpse of the enormous beast. It's a product of your imagination. Survival depends on a quick, decisive move. Your choices are limited. Stand and fight, or run. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. Win the treasure. TSR Hobbies. Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. 
Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. I'm Trey Lawson, and today we are talking about Man-Thing number one. Cover date is January 1974. Written by Steve Gerber, art by Val Merrick, inks by Sal Trapani, letters by John Constanza, colorist is David Hunt, and the editor is Roy Thomas. We open at the Schist construction camp at the edge of the swamp, where reality has run amok. Demons have seized control of the equipment under the orders of the mysterious Overmaster, who seeks to rule the universe. Opposing them are Korak, the Barbarian Prince, Howard, a Talking Duck, and the Man-Thing. The creatures converge on Man-Thing, for if he is defeated, the Overmaster's victory is assured. Korak springs forward to defend his ally, and as he dismembers a demon with his sword, realizes the creatures are not alive. However, as Korak celebrates his victory, the dismembered demon limbs resume their attack. Howard joins the fight as well, drawing his pistol and shooting the nearest demon in the heart. However, as the creature tells him, Demons do not die, duck! Meanwhile, Man-Thing takes hold of one demon and folds it into a makeshift weapon, which he uses to bludgeon his other foes. Suddenly, Dakim, the Enchanter, appears and summons a whirlwind that carries away the Overmaster's demonic minions. Dakim calls together the warrior, the swamp creature, and the duck, for they have been chosen by fate to join him on a quest to save the cosmos. Meanwhile, at the Congress of Realities, men from all planes of existence have come together for the execution of Jennifer Kale, for through her death they might attain godhood. The Overmaster arrives and calls the men to order as Jennifer is found guilty of protecting the balance of existence. Suddenly, Daredevil and Black Widow swing through a portal, kicking aside the men standing ready to fire at Jennifer, before suddenly both heroes are swept away by yet another portal. Kale then begins melting into water, and then reappears one dimension below the Congress, where the Enchanter and his motley crew of adventurers await. Now that the five are together, their quest to protect the cosmos can begin. They transport to a world between dimensions, where Dakim says they must climb a gigantic staircase, which gives way to a series of floating stones. Howard falls into the abyss, lost, perhaps for good. Later, the heroes deliberately leap into the void, after the Enchanter conjures a new helmet for Korak. They land in yet another strange land, which Dakim identifies as the Swamp, as it truly is. A large red arrow, the cosmic axis, is tottering out of alignment, and the four heroes must push it back into place. Suddenly, the Congress of Realities appears. Dakim says the only hope is to follow them, and so he conjures wings for the party and they fly after the Congress to a place called Therea. There, the Congress is converging on a distant castle, but Dakim says that for now, it is safe. However, they must stop the Overmaster before he learns the truth. Just then, the Overmaster arrives, claiming his place as ruler of the universe. Dakim says he cannot claim that title unless he defeats Man-Thing, the result of all realities gone mad. Overmaster scoffs and reveals his true identity, a bright red demon called the Netherspawn. Though he has lost to Man-Thing twice before, in Fear number 11 and number 13, he asserts that this time he will be successful. The two fight, and Man-Thing is temporarily successful at trapping the Netherspawn under his own car. 
two of the demon's minions try to take advantage of the chaos, but Man-Thing's burning touch makes short work of them both. The Netherspawn rises again, and Jennifer wonders why, if they are defending the palace of the gods, why those gods don't join the fight. But Dakim says he cannot answer that yet. Man-Thing and the Netherspawn fight to the edge of the palace moat, which frightens the demon. Man-Thing seizes on that fear and grabs his arms, causing them to melt in his grasp. The Netherspawn pulls away, and his own momentum throws him into the water below, burning out his flame and leaving his horrific visage encased in stone. The fight completed, Dakim reveals the true nature of the gods. A simple peasant couple named Zok and Mafdra, who live in a humble cottage. Man-Thing, sensing goodness, reaches out to pet one of the peasant's dogs, and in an instant, the four heroes become aware of the totality of the cosmos, leaving them with a sense of awe and serenity. Jennifer wishes Howard the Duck hadn't been lost, and Dakim says it is for that reason that Jennifer must resume her lessons soon, for time is short. So according to this comic, the gods are dogs. Yeah, something no, like they, that. They yeah. say, These are the gods. And man things like good friendly dog yeah, yeah. or is it God? And maybe it's both. And it's like uh, oh this comic this yep. comic tray. I love this comic. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so good. It's, it's so, so weird, good. Though. It's so it is wild. It is all over the place. Did you notice how long my summary had to be? It had to be fairly long because you had a lot to get in through here, including a Daredevil cameo. One of the best, uh, like, ridiculous cameos I've ever seen. Yes. They literally swing in through a portal, sort of deus ex machina save Jennifer, and then swing through another portal. Yeah. I just love the note that, that for the rest of their lives, they will wonder what happened. Yep. Although we should probably talk about the huge injustice in this issue. Which was almost a permanent injustice, mm. uh, and that of course the is the yeah the death of Howard the Duck in this right. issue. Right. So was this around the time? Is this around the time Disney was threatening legal action? Yes, it was right. a fairly quick legal action. Uh, and yeah. so when he when I mean spoilers when he does come back, uh, he he'll be wearing pants. Yes. That that is that is the he solution found... to the legal problems is to put him in pants. He fell into some pants. Yeah. But it's. I also oh, just this... would love to say that I really wish I could play D and D with with Gerber DMing. Yeah, <laughs> basically, because <laughs> that's sort of the vibe I get from this story. Is it's like one of the weirdest D and D campaigns ever. It is. Although I, I mean, it even has it even has saying. that traditional opening of we five have been brought together by fate to save the cosmos. Yep. I mean, it, the only thing that can make it better is that they right. all meet in a tavern. It's some good stuff. I just, like, this whole run is just amazingly bonkers, and, and I love it so much. he calls back to Adventure into Fear 11 and 13. Yeah. Where, um, I guess we, here we would say that Nether Spawn is a bit part demon no more. <laughs> I, I do also, there's some random stuff that I don't quite get. So I don't understand yet what the purpose of the mystic helmet is that he conjures for the warrior. I'm guessing he was thought to be too similar to another character, maybe. Pro probably. And we just but, don't see it. Like, but it just feels, 
in story, it, it's like, we're about to jump off this ledge. Here, take this helmet in case you land on your head or something. Because it's like, the only person I can think he might be comparable to is like Thor. And I'm like, it's not a problem if he looks like Thor. You're owned by the same company. Right. It's, it's not... Right. And there's a bit of... He has... He has a bit of a Conan thing going, but he's blonde, and it's too early for He-Man to be the problem. Yeah. And again, it's not a problem if it's Conan either, because again, they right. this is the time right. when they had a license Unless Conan. it's one of the various DC Sword and Sandals characters. But I, I none of none of them is. lasted none of them lasted very long. No. I I have no idea why he needs a helmet here, except that it kinda looks cool. It it does. It's a cool helmet. It's got it honestly it makes him look more like an asgardian true i i love the you are seeing the swamp as it truly is being like this weird tiger stripe dimension with a literal cosmic axis yep and special note from steve gerber to our demon proof readers this page is supposed to be read sideways gang or the gerber curse strikes again i mean it's the best use of a sideways page in comics before Rob Liefeld, I almost wonder if it was. I wonder if it was supposed to be a two-page spread, but they were a page over. It's possible. Which, if it was, it's still a gorgeous page. It's just. It's again, a really good like. It's so bonkers. Yeah, because they burst through yep. the page in a in a in a caddy. What? In fact, wait a minute. Is that the presidential yep. limousine? I think it's supposed to be. Yeah. The, oh my god! It's the Ford that freaking Kennedy was Kennedy. shot in. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh. And the Overmaster sort of looks vaguely Kennedy-like. Oh my god. Gerber, what the hell were yeah. you on? You weren't on anything! He was, he was the teetotaler he of the group. He was sober! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. It's, it's wild. It's crazy and it's wild and it's oh, dimension I... hopping. It's... I just came mm-hmm. to the page with the dogs again. <laughs> the look <laughs> on the dog's face, just like, hello. <laughs> yes, you're your god. He's a good god. Oh, I love this comic. <laughs> Great. It's you know this is the closest that Marvel gets to the cosmic weirdness of Ditko at this point. Okay. Like, like, just in terms of the the settings and the dimension hopping, and like, one of the trademarks of Ditko's alternate dimensions and realities in his Doctor Strange run was that they almost always are these weird, like, floating platforms and staircases and wild things that that it doesn't look like anyone could actually ever exist or live on. Um, listen to Make Ours Marvel for their discussions of those weird Ditko settings as they read the original Ditko Doctor Strange stories, but. Uh, what's going on in this issue has that kind of feel to it, but way less self-serious. Like, it's having fun yeah. with it. Like, Dicko would never have had this much fun with something. No. Because Dicko no. took himself way too seriously. In fact, I imagine... I, I don't think... I, I can't imagine that Dicko would read would have read this comic, but if he did, I bet he hated it. Yeah, he's like, it's just it's just nonsense. What's, the, what's gone here? Where's the duality of nature and man and how all men are self-serving in nature yep. and like... But yeah, no, this is like, you want to talk about a good number one. Yeah. Of course, it makes absolutely really no sense unless you've been reading Man-Thing over an Adventure it, into Fear. You have to have been reading Adventure into Fear. 
Yeah. No, that's one thing that this number one does that we sort of complained about with Ghost Rider number one is that it picks up right where that previous book left off. There is there is no introduction to new no. readers. Although what I will give it points for is it, it's just, it, it works well in the omnibus. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's a fantastic continuation of the story so yeah. far. Yeah, well, and, and more than maybe any other writer right now, Gerber is playing the long game. You know, he's he, he is referencing things from five issues ago, paying off things that he set up way back when, and setting up all kinds of new stuff that he's not going to pay off for many issues like, later. Marv Wolfman on Dracula is giving us pathos. He's giving us drama. But he's yes. not weaving the web yet that Gerber's weaving here. Right. And it's just, it's starting to pay off for the readers, and we're just having so much fun with it. Right. Like, like again, I enjoyed Marvel Spotlight that we just talked about. But, like, that story seems to be thinking of, they're approaching that story like episodes of television. Whereas Gerber is playing a longer game like he's thinking in terms of like a novel or something you know like this is all one big ongoing story he's thinking in terms of hey we want to have fun and really the only thing that gets in the way with it gets in the way of it is he was required to get rid of howard and i kind of liked it how they keep on coming back right. to howard but what about howard but what about howard i feel like that was gerber saying like hey i really didn't want to get rid of this mm-hmm. character well and and the way like at the very end next to the last panel Jennifer says, if only Howard could have survived, and and the wizard immediately says, and that is why we must resume your lessons. Like, he's giving himself the out there right you there. Go. So, you can, it, it can be assumed that, if nothing else, he has a plan in his back pocket for mystic cosmic power to summon Howard again. And honestly, I don't know how Howard comes back, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I don't remember. I don't remember. I know. I know he's in Man Thing some more. I, I think before he gets a solo feature. Okay. I, I think I, I could be wrong about that, but but we do know he comes back because heck, he just had a TV show canceled. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Not to mention his two, no, three MCU appearances. Yeah, yeah. There's three now. He was in freaking Endgame. <laughs> well, of course. He is a warrior chosen by fate to protect the cosmos. Apparently. <laughs> I, I really hope this... So this is a great wild book. I really hope so that they do Howard art... properly in the yeah. MCU. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's TV or movie or whatever, it, it'd be nice to see that kind of Gerber wackiness brought to I, I wonder if the reason they canceled the anime thing is because Faye does have plans for Howard yeah, or, or if maybe they just want to continue the something with the MCU version in some capacity. I, I, what if he shows up in um, Multiverse of Madness? That's true. That, or or we do have Guardians Volume 3. Wait coming. a minute. What if we get Man-Thing in Multiverse of Madness? That would not be out of the question because he is at the nexus of realities. Yeah, he is. And it's not like they could... And it's easy for them to hide him being in the movie because, you know, he'd be a mostly CGI yeah, character. Yeah, he'd be one of the last things you do. So it's not like, you know, there's not going to be, like, set pictures of a guy in a Man-Thing costume. We're like, <gasps> the secret's revealed, right. Man-Thing! Right. Like what we had with like, Nick even Fury. If you did, yeah, even if you did mocap for it, he's just going to be in one of those weird gray suits like uh, 
like Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Holland wear. Which is really surprising why they got Leonardo DiCaprio to play him. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, uh, Man-Thing, off to a fantastic start in his solo It really, really is. I'm so excited. I want more. Oh, wait, there is more. Yeah, because this is not the only number one featuring Man-Thing that we're talking about today. We'll be right back with Marvel 2-in-1, number one, right after this message. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. we got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non-judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitists, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth. This is the thing. With a few pumps of the inflator, you can make the thing expand in size. Place the thing in the rock trap. Pump the inflator. And within seconds, the thing will crash out of the trap. The thing comes complete as shown. Some assembly required. The thing by Fun Stuff. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, to Tomb of Ideas. Our last issue for this episode is our main event, Marvel 2-in-1. Number one, cover date is January 1974. Writer is Steve Gerber. Artist is Bill Kane. Inker is Joe Sinnott. Colors is George Ruzos. And our title is Vengeance of the Molecule Man. Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing of the Fantastic Four, is in a gas station in Devil's Tongue, New Mexico, when he sees a magazine cover featuring the Man-Thing. Angered at the pilfering of his moniker and and after demolishing the newsstand, Ben changes his destination from New York City to the Florida Everglades for a one-in-one showdown with the creature. Meanwhile, we cut away to another dimension, where a villain known as the Molecule Man, who is telling his son how he was banished to this dimension by the Fantastic Four and the Watcher. Apparently, time moves faster in this dimension than ours, so Molecule Man is now on his deathbed of old age. Upon his death, Molecule Man's son goes to a machine built by his father and himself over a lifetime and uses the machine to expose himself to energies to make him the new Molecule Man and promptly uses his new powers to teleport himself across the dimensional barrier back to Earth-616. Molecule Man is shocked to find himself not in New York as he had meant to be, but in the Florida Everglades, as he had meant to home in on the unique radiation of the Thing. He is even more shocked when he instead finds himself face-to-face with the Man-Thing. In his fright, the Molecule Man drops his wand and begins to rapidly age, because, well, comic book science. The villain returns to youth after recovering his wand, and Molecule Man decides to ignore the Man-Thing to resume his hunt for the Thing unaware that the Man-Thing follows. Shortly afterwards, the Thing drops off in the middle of the swamp after bullying a bus driver. 
He quickly set, is set upon by the Molecule Man, but is saved the last minute by the Man-Thing. Molecule Man then takes revenge on both monsters by transforming them back into human form. That is Ben Grimm and Ted Salas. Molecule Man then transports away to carry out further revenge against the Fantastic Four. Ben explains the situation to Salas, who offers Ben his skills as a chemist to help defeat the Molecule Man. Speaking of Molecule Man, he is finding it impossible to teleport outside the bounds of the swamp, unaware of its status as the nexus of all realities, and the corrupting effect of local scientific laws. And the corrupting effect on local scientific laws. Angered, Molecule Man attacks the nearby town of Citrusville, where Ben and Ted have also walked looking for chemicals to aid in the fight against the villain. Molecule Man notices Ben and decides to give him a preview of the fate of Fantastic Four by transforming a bystander to a doppelganger of Reed Richards and then stretching the man like a rubber band until he snaps. Molecule Man then transforms Ben and Ted back into the Thing and Man-Thing, respectively, and force them to fight for his amusement. Disgusted with the Molecule Man, Thing throws a mud pie at the villain, which, which misses his face, but succeeds in knocking his wand from his grasp. Knowing he must recover the wand or risk aging into dust, the Molecule Man struggles to do so, but, but falls short mere inches from his goal. The son of the Molecule Man is dead and Ben tries to use the wand to transform the Man-Thing and himself back to human form. Meaning failure, the Man-Thing wanders aimlessly back to the swamp, and Thing gives the now useless wand to a nearby child as a toy before making his own exit. So, it is crazy to me that a Ben Grimm-Man-Thing team-up versus the Molecule Man is the most normal comic book we've talked about today. And even it is a little bit bonkers. Oh, it's crazy. It's wild. It's great. I actually really like this issue. Oh, no, this is a this is a great... I, I almost said this is a great introduction to Ben Grimm team-up stories, but that's not really accurate because this is picking up on uh, Marvel Premiere, which had been doing thing team-up stories for a couple of years. Right. First he this. fights the Hulk, and then he teams up with right. Iron Man. Right. And then that leads into this. And and they actually follow directly. Like, they, the continuity from those issues all follow. So this is a direct sequel to those... The, this issue is a direct sequel to the Marvel premiere. And it's kind issues. of a shame that the artist didn't carry over from that as well. Because, I mean, Gil Kane's fine. But Jim Starlin was the artist on those Marvel, presents, Marvel premiere issues. And my god, those are gorgeous. I remember I read them when Fantastic Cast was was covering them, and they are great. Yeah, and Kane's thing is fine. Yeah, um, it's fine. And you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to get Man Thing wrong, but yeah. But I don't know that I don't know that the action is as as exciting as it could have been with someone like Starlin on it. I, I agree. It, so, is it just me, or does it feel like this story was recommended by Roy Thomas? Seems like it, because I, I vaguely recall him taking issue with Man-Thing's name. Yeah, he didn't like that there was a character called Man-Thing when there's already a character called The Thing. And I get that. Yeah. Although I don't, get, I don't get Ben Grimm's anger at the Man-Thing when clearly the Man-Thing didn't choose his own name. Oh no, Ben's an asshole to tons of people in this comic. Like, Steve Gerber's version of Ben Grimm is way meaner than I'm used to. Yeah, we're, we're used to the kind of lovable, 
pile of rocks spin. And this one's kind of like, um, you do what I say or I'm going to smash the place. Like, okay. Now, granted, we are coming upon Ben Grimm as he has been wandering alone in the desert for who knows how long. Yes. So he might be because a little that's bit where, that's where Premier That's where Premier leaves him, is wandering alone in the desert. And he has finally made it to... Where is he? Devil's Tongue, New Mexico? Yes. And then he's going to Florida. He's riding the bus from New Mexico to Florida. Do you have any idea how long that bus ride must be? Especially in 1970s. Yep. That, that, I mean, I feel for... It, it is no wonder that Ben is in... That his bad mood just gets worse as the book goes on. Yes. There is some... Okay. So... This book is surprisingly gruesome. Yeah. Like, Molecule Man straight up murders. Yeah, Molecule Man murders a guy in a really horrendous way. He turns them into Fantastic and makes him stretch himself until he snaps. And, like, I can't be sure, but I'm pretty sure there's a little blood explosion when that happens. That is entirely likely. Uh, So he. It's in the far distance. So it's not clear if that's meant to be like a flash from him using his powers or whether that's like blood or what. But yeah, it's 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 not. It's a red pleasant. burst of color. Yep, yep. And also the guys scream as his head stretches uh, gradually. Like it, it it's got red uh... in the lettering too. Okay, let's talk about Molecule Man because we get a great view of his butt on the bottom on the top of that page. This costume is hideous. Oh, that costume it's like is so bad. Someone put Tor Johnson in a Borat swimming suit. <laughs> See, I was thinking extra from the background of the '80s oh. Flash Gordon movie. No, I'm going. I'm going Tor Johnson in a Borat suit. <laughs> Your version is way more evocative. Yes. It's like, let's see. We have this little speedo, and that's what it's. It's, it's a speedo. Let's be clear here. We get multiple angles yes. of it, and that thing is really hugging the buns there. Yep. And then he's got, like, weird, like, 1930s-style pulp sci-fi lightning bolt stuff Going down to the Speedo. It's just... Yes. It's weird. And and Molecule Man as a character is weirdly fascinating. Um, He's become way more interesting in recent years. Uh, This is only, like, the maybe what third appearance of molecule man something like that i don't know how many times he appeared in fantastic four yeah at this point. it's it's explained that this is his son here but it's not actually his son right there's a retcon there yeah it was okay so it was later revealed by steve Englehart that the son of the molecule man is not an actual son but a living living construct created by the molecule man to keep him company in exile in addition the Original Molecule Man's consciousness is housed within the rod, and it's how he's coming back later. Either, I, I think it's either in, like, Fantastic Four or Iron Man, but he ends up being a big deal in Secret Wars, right. of course. In fact, he is a big I'll... deal in the more recent Secret Wars, too. Uh, yeah. And, and so they've elaborated significantly on what he is and how his powers work in recent years. So <clears throat> it's not just that he can manipulate molecules but rather that, and this is according to Dr. Doom and Reed Richards, who have studied him, that Molecule Man is a multiversal composite entity. He is one being that has fragmented himself across the entire multiverse. 
So versions of him exist in every version of reality, but they're all him. They're all the same being. That's... Uh, some of that was Hickman, was Hickman, although I think Al Ewing picks it up too. Because later, okay. after Secret Wars, Molecule Man appears in Ewing's Ultimates, which was not the book featuring the Ultimate Marvel characters, but the like main universe Ultimates, the, the sort of Cosmic Ooh. Avenger book. Um, and okay. uh, in that book, Galactus recognizes Molecule Man as a being that could destroy him with a thought. So, but basically the idea is that uh, the more divided across the multiverse he is, the more stable he is, but probably also the less powerful he is. But the more those realities come together, the less divided he is, the more mentally unstable he is. Yeah, although it's worth noting, uh, basically all this is a nice way of saying there's a really bad idea to get a little yeah, kid Yeah, especially, and toy. this has not been revealed yet at this point, but... Molecule Man's consciousness is inside that wand. And I think what ends up happening later is... I can't remember if the kid's part of it or not, but he comes back when Reed Richards holds the wand. Right, right. And and his consciousness inside the wand is able to, like, reconstruct a body that has the same abilities as his original body. It's just... Oof. Yep, that's yep. the thing. But no, no kid should be given a... a a wand that can focus molecule manipulating powers. Yeah. So this is Marvel two and one featuring the thing. Uh, we're, we're, this is the very first book of this series, technically, even though, as we said, there were sort of two tryout issues before that. So what's going on with the rest of the fantastic four? So this, the issue this was published is the same month as fantastic Four one forty two where the Fantastic Four is broken up after Reed has lobotomized Franken with a science gun uh, because, you know, cosmic reality-altering powers, kind of like Molecule Man, and the thing is supposed to be <laughs> in Europe rescuing a kidnapped Alicia Masters. So I'm not really sure where this fits into the continuity. Well, how about we take a trip to Trey's Continuity Corner? Trey's Continuity Corner? Yay! So, this issue follows the Marvel premiere thing issues, which leave him alone in the desert. We talked about that. The first of those Marvel premiere issues takes place sometime after Fantastic Four number 130. We know this because that's the issue where Reed and Sue separate. And in the Marvel premiere issues, Reed and Sue are still separated. Now, the Marvel wiki gets even more specific. Their reading order has this issue sometime after Fantastic Four number 144. That is a Doctor Doom story. Also, the Marvel Wiki suggests that in their reading order, according to Man-Thing's continuity, we've actually jumped back in time a little bit. So this is taking place sometime after Adventure into Fear number 16, which, if you recall, is the issue where Man-Thing got involved in the Native American protests against the Schist construction site. That makes sense, because that's the sort of thing that would make headlines, and, and that the thing would then see in a newspaper. Oh, wow. So, if you're putting all this together, we are after Fantastic Four number 144, and also after Adventure into Fear number 16. Okay, so we're jumping back and forth a lot. Yeah, the, the timing is getting real wibbly-wobbly. Nice. Uh, 
So Ted Salas. Yeah, Ted Salas is it's fun to see Ted Salas. I was not expecting no, Ted and, Salas. And it's interesting how he never remembers anything. No. Well, it'd be kind of horrific if he could remember it all, right? It would be. It would be. I do and, like, and it sort of lends credence. It lends credence to the the idea of the man thing being mindless. I do kind of like how Ben Grimm kind of reflects on the fact that oh yeah, I've got it bad, but this guy's got it worse. At least yeah, I still have my yeah. mind. Yeah, that's sort of where his anger. That's that's sort of where his anger at the name infringement dissipates. Yeah. Once he realizes he's not like a guy who named himself, he's just kind of a mindless man thing. It, that's when right. he's like, oh. Well, I feel stupid now. <laughs> um, also, while we're keeping track of uh, where things fit in terms of continuity, this is the first time we've seen Ted Salas, I think, since Fear Number 13. Yeah, and they, I think they shout that out in the issue on one of the other notes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was fun. It yeah, all it's a good issue. It's I have to say we got we got good issues all around. Yeah, this is this is the best grouping we've done in a while. And I have to say, part of it is because two-thirds of it is Steve Gerber. Yeah. I have to agree that. With helps that. a lot. It does. It's it's just... Mm-hmm. Like I say, I I wish the two-in-one was more visually interesting. Yes. It's not bad. It's not like it's not like it's unreadable. It's just, it is less exciting than the Man-Thing solo issue or even Marvel Spotlight. Because it's Gil Kane doing the artwork. Right. Even and... even Spotlight, with its sort of lazy depiction of, of Satan, has more interesting compositions. Yes. But, in terms agree. of story, man, this is... It's going to be hard to beat this episode. It really is. Unless we get another all-Gerber episode, or nearly all-Gerber episode. Uh, but, okay, if you had to pick a favorite issue... From this episode, what would it be? Ooh, um, tough. I am probably going to say Man Thing number one. I, I I think I agree, which of course means, ding ding ding, it is Man Thing, it is Man Thing in a knockout. You saw it here, folks. We had three issues tussling for comic book dominance and. It was, of course, the man thing that came out on top. I'm done now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's un- indisputable that, that, at least as far as this episode goes, we have a new champion, and he is the man thing. Yep. Man thing, do you have anything you want to say to the fans? Beautiful. Inspirational <laughs> words. Yep. Man thing, man thing, mild mannered no more. Yep. I believe he says he's going to Disney World. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think that, that basically does it for the, the issues we've got for today. Right. So, next time, we'll be talking about Tomb of Dracula, number 16, Frankenstein, number 8, and Werewolf by Night, number 13, which I believe is going to give us another monster tussle. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, wait, so, um... So the Frankenstein issue is a crossover, right? Yes, with Dracula. Yeah. But... That should be fun. Yeah. Hold on a second, though. I gotta check something. Okay, never mind. I thought for maybe a second that it was also the Werewolf by Night and Dracula crossover. We're getting closer to that. I don't think we're there yet, but we're getting closer. I think we've got, like, three more issues. Yeah, no, this is... We're we're coming up on the Werewolf issue that introduces uh, Topaz. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
So, anyway, if you want to tell us who you think would win in a fight between the Thing and Man-Thing, and maybe throw in the Son of Satan in there while you're at it, you can always reach us at tombofideas at gmail.com, or... Um, You can also find us on Twitter at uh, at tombofideas, or Facebook, facebook.com slash tombofideas. Exactly. And, of course, we will be happy to read any comments you send us on the air. Exactly. Or if you've got, uh, like, fan art of uh, Man-Thing or any of the other monsters uh, colliding, we'd love to see some of that, too. Like, I would love to see, like, a takeoff off of the... the, I don't know. I kind of like to see Howard Cassell interviewing (laughs) Man-Thing. Sort of the post-match interview. Man-Thing's got a black eye. (laughs) (laughs) How Man-Thing gets a black eye, I don't know. Um... So, in addition to contacting us, you can find, uh, in addition to our new episodes, our entire back catalog on your podcatcher of choice. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher. Wherever you find your podcasts, you'll find us there. We are also proud to be hosted at Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with an X, where we are part of their uh, family of podcasts. In addition to the main Cinepunks show, Horror Business, uh, Black Sun Dispatches, um, the flight stuff, which is covering Alpha Flight, I think they're on a short hiatus right now, but you should check out their back catalog because they are awesome. Yep. And a shout out to Liam's new project, Cinema Smorgasbord, where he and Doug Tilly, both also of the flight stuff, are launching a whole series of movie related podcasts where they talk about uh, that they've got We Do Our Own Stunts, where they're doing Jackie Chan movies, they've got. Uh, a uh, a Steve Buscemi podcast in the works. They've got an anime podcast in the works. All kinds of stuff. So go check out, in addition to Cinepunks.com, Cinemasmorgasbord.com to see what else uh, Liam and Doug have cooked up. And just in case you haven't seen it yet, uh, we also did a reaction video to the upcoming Mor- teaser, so the teaser for the upcoming Morbius movie. And that, of course, is also on the Cinepunks Podcast Collective YouTube channel, so you could check that yeah, out. Yeah, and make sure and make sure you subscribe to that channel because that will not be the last thing that we post there. Shh, spoilers. <laughs> just, just saying, you might want to click that subscribe yeah. button just in case. Anyway, Tomb Believers, I think that does it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas. Until next time, remember, it's the thrill of victory. The Agony of Defeat. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Members, Excelsior! (laughs) 